0: This is a really old reference, but do y'all, I don't know if Saturday Night Live, I go to bed too early for Saturday Night Live now, but I don't know if they still do, this is from like maybe 20 years ago, they do Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. Does anybody, there's like one person laughing. Does anybody remember these, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy? It's just this like short little segment where it was like, and now, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. And he would say like ridiculous things. I'm sitting here looking at the rain and I remember a Deep Thought by Jack Handy. He said, when it's raining, it means God's crying, and it's probably something you did. <laughs> it's not where we're going. That's not a setup um, for my sermon this morning. Um, I appreciate, I know that you guys personally didn't invite me, but I appreciate the campus ministers invite me to speak this weekend. Um, it's just a privilege to to be here. Um, like I said at the very beginning, I love RUF, but... Even more than our UF I just love the opportunity to talk about Jesus so we've been watching Jesus we've been seeing him as he comes out of the grave and we've just been watching to see where he goes and this morning um, we're looking at this final encounter of the risen Jesus this final place uh, that he goes and before I read this passage in John chapter 21 if you want to turn there um, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit, but let me tell you what happens right where we pick up, where I start reading, is basically Jesus has appeared on a shore, the Sea of Tiberias, and um, some of his disciples are out in the water, and they're doing kind of, they've sort of, I mean, you're kind of coming to the conclusion that they're not quite sure what to do with their lives anymore, now that Jesus has died, and um, he's appeared to them, and he's risen, but they're not quite sure what to do now. And so they just go back to doing what they know how to do. They're, they're out fishing in the sea. And Jesus appears on the beach. And he's down in the sand and he's making them breakfast. He started a charcoal fire and he's beginning to make breakfast. And he tells them uh, to cast their nets in a certain place. He yells out to them and they do it. And this is reminiscent of um, an earlier scene in this, that has happened before in Luke where he he commands them to do this this exact thing, and they hadn't caught any fish all night. They drag their nets back out, and Jesus says, put them back in. They put them back in, and they haul in all these fish, so much so that the boat starts to sink. There's so many fish. And so he tells them again to do this. Um, Cast your nets on the other side, and they do it, and they haul in, and John tells us um, exactly, I think it's 153 fish. And Peter, who was there for that first miracle, sees this miracle happen again, and he, realized, he realizes the man on the shore who's commanding them to do this is Jesus, and he jumps out of the boat, and he swims to the shore, and he runs up to Jesus, and this is what happens. Maybe it's good to remember this too, what's happened between Jesus and Peter is that Peter has, on the night that Jesus is arrested, that Peter, if you don't know the story, who has been so um, adamant about his devotion to Jesus, um, that he basically is saying, even if these other people, these other disciples, if they all leave you, I'm not going to do that. And then on the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter's afraid, and he's in a courtyard with a charcoal fire that's burning there, and he's warming himself, and he denies Jesus. Uh, three times one of them too, even a little girl this is what happens when he gets up on that shore when they had finished breakfast jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these and he said to him yes lord you know that i love you and he said to him feed my lambs he said to him a second time simon son of john do you love me and he said to him yes lord You know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning once again for your word. Um, We thank you that it is um, absolutely True, and that it is preserved for us this morning, and it's given to us in love, so that we might know you. And we ask this question all the time in our minds, maybe without even knowing, we're asking it: Is what is is there a God? And if there is, what is He like? Um, What would He think of me if He could really see me? What would happen if I encountered Him? And Father, we thank you that as we watch Jesus, what we see is the radiance of Your glory the exact imprint of your nature. We see what you're like. We see what you say and what you do to people like us. And Father, I pray that we would leave here this morning. I pray that we would leave here um, with hope. I pray that we would leave here with peace. I pray that we would leave here knowing that you see our tears and that you have entered into this world uh, to address them, that you've seen the wounds of our sin, the wounds that have been caused by the sin that others have committed against us and that you have taken those wounds upon yourself and it is by your stripes, your wounds, your scars that we are healed. Father, this morning I pray that we would see that there is a forgiveness that is offered to us that defies all logic and explanation, that the one who we've most offended, the one that we have most betrayed, the one who created us for his own glory, and the one that we have broken all of his laws that we've not done what he's asked us to do, that you are the one who stands before us this morning and offers us the opposite of what we deserve. Father, help us to see that this is for us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I mentioned before that for 12 years I was an RAF campus minister, and I love that time. I was talking to one of you last night um, at dinner, and you were asking about that time in RUF, how it's different from being a church planner, which is what I do now, and I was like, you know, one of the things I missed the most was just being like the accessibility of students. That you're all, you're all kind of gathered in one place. Um, you're all the same kind of age group, eighteen to twenty-two. Um, some of you maybe twenty-five if you're taking a little extra time. That's what I did, and. Um, And, you know, but so you're all kind of dealing with a lot of the same things, and I love the accessibility to be able to, you know, meet with like four or five people in a day and just talk about your life and think about how Jesus um, interacts with where you're at at that moment. One of the things that I probably don't miss that much is the topic of some of those conversations. Um, One of the things I don't deal with as much is people asking me questions about dating, right? It doesn't happen as much in the church, it's more dealing with the, um, the aftermath, what comes after dating is marriage, and then um, the, you know dealing with marriage problems. But the conversations with dating, and they were plentiful, and I, I don't know what the state of dating is on the college campus right now, it's been a little while, um, but those conversations, a lot of them went like this, that I'd be meeting with somebody, we kind of beat around the bush for a little while, talk about a few other things, we'd finally get to the thing that they actually want to talk about, which is this person, this other person. Who they've been hanging around a little bit, and we've kind of been hanging around in a group, um, but now, you know, there's moments where we've also hung out, just the two of us, you know, like watched a movie together the other night, and I think, I mean, it's kind of like, I, I like this other person, but I'm not really sure what they think about me, and here's the thing, like, we haven't talked about it. Like, I mean, we've hung out in groups, and then we've hung out together, and we've been having fun, and we're laughing together. And it seems kind of clear to me, but there's this, there's this um, uncomfortable tension that's there because I don't really know what they think. And then finally, there's that moment where somebody um, brings it up, and they actually have that conversation. I don't know if this is still what you call it anymore. We used to call it the DTR The determined, we need to determine the relationship. And I remember talking, you know, to students and after meeting with them and they're so uh, insecure and uneasy and then they come back and they're like, we finally talked. We finally had the conversation, that awkward, horrible conversation. But what you could see on their face was there's this deep sense of relief because they know what this other person thinks. They know that this other person, you know, hopefully, actually likes them too. And so they have definition to the relationship as flimsy as the definition dating actually is, and it's really flimsy. At least they have something, right? They, they know where this other person stands. Maybe, maybe you've been in another situation where you've really hurt somebody that you care about a lot. I don't know if any of you have ever done that before. I never have, but I've heard that people... <laughs> I've heard that people do, and they sometimes talk to me about it, and so I'm trying to relate to you. Um, And, you know, they hurt somebody that they really, you know, care about, maybe a really good friend or maybe your parents or maybe like a best friend from growing up or your roommate, and you've done something that has caused just so much hurt and so much tension. And there's that awkward, you know, maybe day or two or maybe even a week before you see that person again. And you don't know, like, how it's going to go. You don't know if um, that that conversation, that next conversation, you're just dreading it because you're thinking it's going to dredge up all that pain again. It's going to dredge up all that hurt again. And what I'm wondering is how they're going to react to me. Are they going to forgive me? Um, Is this relationship going to be restored or is it not? Maybe you've been in that situation before. Maybe you were in that situation even this week. And here's the thing. I've been um, a pastor for a while now and had a lot of conversations with a lot of people. And I also live inside my own head. And I know how I think. And what I see over and over again with those of us who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus is we often live with this tension where we are wondering, what does he think about me? Um, We may not like, say it out loud, we may not talk about it a whole lot, but the way that we live kind of reveals that we're living in this tension of going, um, he loves me, he loves me not. Um, I I really had a horrible week and I did things that I'm ashamed of and he probably um, is ashamed of me. Or then I did some of the things that I think are actually good one week or one day and, you know, I came to fall conference, I did that, um, and he loves me. And we, we go back and forth He knows everything that I've done, and He knows the ways that I've hurt Him, and He knows the ways that I have resisted doing the things that I know that I should do, and I actually practice the very things that I know that I shouldn't do. How do we move from being, just kind of knowing about Jesus to actually being close to Him and being secure in Him? I think that that's what this passage is actually about. It asks us this question. This is an important question. What do you do with your failure? What do you do with it? What do you do with your guilt? How do you handle it? How do you live with it? Where do you take it? How do you know, how do I know where we stay? How do I know where I stand with Jesus? And I want you to know that what Jesus does with Peter in this passage is the exact same thing that he does with each and every one of us who comes to him In faith. And what that means is this what we're going to see today is this that means that the questioning and the doubting and the wondering of where you stand with Him can be over once and for all. So you do not have to wonder about it anymore that you can do what the rest of the New Testament tells you to do, that you can boldly approach, this is a a scene and, and an image that I cannot wrap my mind around, that you can boldly approach the throne of grace without fear, without guilt, without shame. Imagine the relief that comes from knowing where you stand with Jesus. That should bring us the, the most freedom that we have ever felt, what do we do with that freedom? One of my friends, some of y'all probably know him or you've actually heard him speak before, um, is a guy named Richie Sessions. Y'all ever heard Richie before? He's a campus minister at Vanderbilt. He's great. And uh, he was telling one time a story about going to see his counselor. And um, you know, the people who need the most counseling are pastors that go to counseling. I don't think there's a taboo about that anymore. Um, with most students, but there, there's been a time there was, and we need a lot of counseling. And so he was going to his counselor, and his counselor said to him this time this really interesting question. He said, um, hey, Richie, do I have permission to be gentle with you? And you're like, he was like, what? That's the weirdest question I've ever heard. Like, what do you mean? And, he's, and he, so he just asked it again. Do I have permission to be gentle with you? And he's like, I don't know where this is going, but um, okay, permission granted. You have permission to be gentle with me. And he says, well, that's good because I am going to be gentle with you, but I want to tell you, I am going to be ruthless with everything that stands in the way of you becoming who you are supposed to be. I'm going to be gentle with you, but I'm going to be ruthless with everything that stands in the way of of who you were supposed to be, and this is what Jesus is doing in this passage, that Jesus is so gentle with this man, Peter. He has made a fool of himself over and over and over again, and yet Jesus comes to him and approaches him, and he is so gentle with him, but he is absolutely ruthless in this passage to to remove every obstacle that stands in the way of who Jesus wants Peter to be and what he wants Peter to do. And if you don't believe me, read the rest of the New Testament and watch Peter and see what he does and see where he goes. And this morning, I want to think about two things. I want to think about what's happening in this passage and what Jesus always does is he is bringing this vertical love and forgiveness and restoration between Peter and between God, the father And that always turns into, and Jesus always ties these things together just immediately. This vertical love and restoration leads to a horizontal love and restoration. All right? Those are the two things we're looking at this morning. The first thing I want you to remember is this, and it's really simple, but it's easy to pass over in this passage, is that Jesus is the one who always pursues us and finds us. That Jesus is the one that pursues us and finds us. And it's important to know this and it's important to remember this and to meditate on this. If you know Jesus this morning, if you know Jesus this morning, it is because he has shown up that he has pursued you and he has found you. And let me tell you, that is such a simple point. But there is freedom and there is life in that knowledge. There is unbelievable joy and freedom in the knowledge that Jesus has found you. And why has he found you? Why has he pursued you? Because he wants to bless you. Because he wants to forgive you. And so he's hunted you down. And I love, I love this scene so much that Jesus, the way that he comes to his disciples. I mean, we've seen it throughout the last couple of days. The ways that he has pursued these people. That he's pursued them in their grief, and in their fear, and in their doubt, and now he pursues Peter in his failure, and the way he does it is so perfect and so meticulous that he shows up on the beach, and he shows up while these men are not out looking for Jesus. They've just gone back to doing what they normally do, that they're fishing, that they're doing the things that they know best, and yet once again, Jesus knows better than they do, and he tells them where to cast their nets. And what they do is they bring in this plentiful harvest because of Jesus. Jesus meets them where they are, and then he sits on the shore, and he just makes them breakfast. I mean, he, I wonder what Jesus cooked for breakfast. I wonder how good it was. Is it, like, better than normal breakfast? But in, anyway, he just, like, he goes and meets them. These men who betrayed him and these men who have denied him and these men who have failed him, he decides, let me make them breakfast. It's just a simple gesture of love. And you see here this morning, it, you, you might be here, you may have come on this retreat. And I think this often happens in college because you're kind of in a place where you're thinking, um, I need to kind of get right with God. You know, maybe I'm a freshman and I'm coming. There's a lot of temptation around. There's a lot of things that I could do wrong. I want to start off on the right foot. I want to go on this retreat and I want to meet with God. And I want to pursue God. But I want to tell you this, this morning. If you're here and you're sitting here this morning, the reason that you're here is not because you're pursuing God. It's because He's pursuing you. It's because He's coming after you. It's because He is relentlessly wanting to meet you so that He can offer you forgiveness. Can you wrap your mind around that for a minute? That's why you're here. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that you ended up sitting in this pavilion This weekend is because God is pursuing you this morning isn't about us showing up just like every Sunday morning when we gather to worship and I remind our people all the time, this isn't about us showing up. It's about the fact that God has already shown up and he has come to pursue us and find us. And when he does that, when he gets close to you, just like he does with Peter, he pursues you and he finds you and he gets close to you and he encounters you so that he might expose you. It's uncomfortable when God gets close to you. He, he exposes us, but he exposes us for this reason. He exposes us so that he might heal us. And that's not something that we're used to, right? I mean, that's something that's, that's hard for us to get because we've had people in our life who have exposed things about us that we would rather not have exposed. And oftentimes they've exposed those things because they want to hurt us or they want to humiliate us. You know, you've had people in your life who have known something about you and then they've gossiped about it. And they've done that to kind of hurt you. They want other people to, they want to make you look bad. When Jesus gets close to us to expose us so that he might heal us, and here's the thing because we've had these bad experiences, we don't like to be exposed, we would rather stay hidden. We would, rather, we would rather all these things you know, stay uh, behind the curtain, so to speak. So Jesus exposes us not to hurt us, but to heal us. And here's the thing about Peter. Peter wanted so badly to be Jesus's like, right-hand man. He wanted, Peter wanted to be Jesus's co-savior. If this is the Messiah, I want to be the co-messiah. But it turned out that Peter was actually a devastating failure. You remember Peter saying, if you've read through the Gospels, that Peter said these words. He said, even if everyone else denies you, I will never, never deny you. Even if I have to die with you, Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And here we are now on the beach with this charcoal fire burning. And we, it's reminiscent of this one that Peter was standing beside as he warmed himself, as he denied Jesus three times. And, and there's, it's no mistake, Jesus built that fire. And Jesus built that fire because he knew when Peter walked up on the beach and he smelled that fire, that, that charcoal fire, that his mind would immediately have gone to the last time he really looked at Jesus before his crucifixion. And we're told in the Gospels that Jesus, after Peter had denied him, Jesus looked at him. And, when, and then Peter goes out and he wept bitterly. And so Jesus builds this fire and Peter comes up and approaches Jesus and I imagine he smells this fire and he's thinking about the last time he stood by a charcoal fire and what happened in that moment and the way that Jesus looked at him in that moment. Why does Jesus do that? Is Jesus being cruel? No, Jesus is exposing him because this is what Jesus does. Jesus goes to the scariest, darkest, neediest place because he, that is the place where he can bless him the most he goes to the scariest and the darkest and the neediest place because he wants to bless Peter where Peter has been at his absolute worst, where Peter has failed the most. And so Jesus asked this question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it doesn't take, you know, there's much been made about, the you know, the verbs that he uses for love and all these kind of things. That's not the point. It doesn't take somebody like a literary scholar or somebody who has like a graduate degree in biblical exegesis to understand what is going on in this passage. Jesus is giving Peter a chance to put the words into the air three times. The same amount of times that he denied Jesus to just simply say out loud, Lord, you know that I love you. He gives him a chance. It's so gentle and at the same time it is it is uncomfortable and it is ruthless here's the thing jesus he doesn't need you know peter was like the you know it's like the car in the cartoons there's like the big dog and then there's like the yippy dog that's like jumping over the big dog and is kind of going yeah i'm going i'm going to do that too i'm going to come with you too like this was peter he was the guy in your class who when the teacher asked the question he's the first one to raise his hand And then his answer is more of like a statement where he turns and faces the class and explains things to them. There's a lot of those people in seminary. Um, This is what Peter was was like. And and Jesus is saying, I don't need you to be a co-savior with me. I don't need your strength. He needs him to come to terms with his weakness so that he might be filled with Jesus' love and his forgiveness and his strength because his love and His forgiveness are the only strength that He needs. The question, do you love me? Do you love me? This is, the, this is the primary question of Christian discipleship. It's not, are you smart? It's not, are you the most moral? It's not, are you the most bold? It's not, are you the most passionate? Are you the most on fire for Jesus? No, the question is, do you love me? You see, the one who truly loves Jesus, the reason that he truly loves Jesus is this, because he understands what it means that Jesus has loved him first. The one who truly loves Jesus, she understands the depth to which Jesus went in order to love her. That's why he or she loves Jesus. And Peter is standing now on this damp, he's standing kind of soaking wet on a beach with the scent of charcoal fire in his nostrils, And he is fully forgiven and he is fully restored. And maybe this morning you still kind of tremble at the thought of what would it mean for Jesus to expose me? What would it mean for Jesus to actually see me as I really am? And let me just ask you this question Do you think you're worse than Peter? Do you really think you're worse than Peter? I mean, a lot of times that's how we act. We act as if we are worse than Peter. I've done things that are worse than him. There's no way that Jesus can come close to me. That's actually pride. That's the way I act a lot of times. See, this moment is where, you know, this is where for Peter, Jesus becomes precious to him. If I can use that word. Jesus goes from being someone that he admires and someone he wants to impress and somebody he wants to see. See, I'm worthy to be around you. There's a shift for Peter where now Jesus becomes precious to him. And unless, unless you know that Jesus has pursued you and found you and seen you and forgiven you in this relentless way, you will never want to follow him. You might hang around him. You might want to impress him. You might want to show him that you're worthy. You might go to church religiously. You might um, go to RUF. You might teach Bible studies. You might know all of the right language, but he will not be precious to you. You might try to spend time like Peter did showing him over and over and over again that you're worthy of his love, but as a result, you'll never be confident of where you stand with him. The moment of humility, this moment of humility for Peter, it completely revolutionizes the rest of his life. It completely changes him. Because what he knows at that moment now is that I am worthy. And I am not worthy because of anything I'm able to produce or anything I'm able to do. And Peter is set free. After Pentecost, Peter preaches the first sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 people are converted and come to Jesus and are baptized the forgiveness that Jesus has commanded them to give has been given and it empowers Peter for the mission with this forgiveness and love he he needs nothing else he has forgiven much so that now Peter instead of trying to earn love Peter is forgiven much so now what happens is Peter begins to love much that's the pattern in the bible those who are forgiven much they love much god doesn't need god doesn't use People who have been perfect enough, who have been moral enough. The people that God uses are the ones who have been forgiven much, and they know it. This is why everywhere you look in the New Testament and the Gospels where Jesus goes, Jesus often chooses not the people that anyone else would have chosen to go and to be the proclaimers of his gospel, to be witnesses of his gospel. He chooses the people who know they need to be forgiven much. And let me ask you this question. Do you know that you've been forgiven much? Do you know that this morning? And you go, well, maybe. I mean, I think I know that I've been forgiven much, but how do I really know that I know that I've been forgiven much? Let me just give you the answer to that. The answer to that is that you will love much. You will love much. If you've been forgiven much, then you will forgive Jesus uses, it makes us uncomfortable, but Jesus uses that pattern over and over and over again. The way that you know that I have forgiven you much, the way that you know the depth to which I have come to forgive you and to pursue you and to love you is that you will do the same, that you will love much. If we don't know the depths to which we have been forgiven, we will, nev- we will never be moved to love. We'll be defensive when we're accused of something. When somebody calls us out on something, we'll get, we'll be cold and we'll be bitter and we'll be the type of people who are doing this. We're always saying about our life, why is not my life better than it is? Why does it anything ever work out for me? See the one who is forgiven much, they're amazed at life. They have, they're full of wonder. They're amazed at the fact that they get to live another day in God's world. They're amazed at the fact that God has actually pursued them and forgiven them because what they know is I am not worthy of his love. I don't deserve another day. I don't deserve this life that I've been given. And they are the most joyful people. Not just fake plastic smiles on their face that deep down what they know is that God loves me eternally and I need nothing else. You see the beauty of this conversion, don't you? Peter, you have my forgiveness. And every time Peter answers him, Jesus answers back and he says, now go and feed my sheep. Go and tend my lambs. That he's saying... Yes, Peter, I know that you love me. You are forgiven. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to go and give that away. I want you to go and give my forgiveness away. I want you to go and give the same type of love that I've showed you. I want you to go and give it away. Just as I pursued you and I found you and I've forgiven you, I want you to pursue and I want you to find others and I want you to tell them about this love. I was talking to a friend um, just a few weeks ago who was just a little bit younger than me, but most of his life he has struggled with addiction, and um, he's a beautiful person, and he knows Jesus and he loves him, but he's been caught in the snare of addiction, and it has tormented him most of his life, and he's had moments of freedom, and he's had moments of victory, but um, it seems like it continues to rear its head, and I met with him not long ago, and he said, man... I, I've discovered something. And I was like, well, what is it? And he said, I, I found this group, and they're Christians, and they've all been addicted as well, but they're all recovered. And they still meet together, and they encourage one another, and they love one another, but they invite other people in who are still struggling. And I found this group, and I went to them, and I told them, um, I'm an addict. And they said, you know what? We've been praying for you. We've been praying that you would come and see us. And they said, you know, here's what we're going to do anytime you need us. Anytime, day or night, it can be the middle of the night. um, This is the guy that we want you to call. Call call this guy. And he's thinking, you know, I don't want to do that. But there was one night where he was really wrestling with addiction, and he picks up the phone, and he calls this guy at 3 in the morning. And the guy answers. And he says, hey, I am so glad you called. Let's talk. What's going on? And, you know, the thing that was so pivotal, pivotal for my friend is that he was like, these are people who have been forgiven much. And it is so evident because of the way that they love me, the way that they have loved me is proof that they know the depth to which Jesus has forgiven them. The end of this passage is a little bit interesting, that Jesus makes this shift where he tells them, you know, basically he forgives them, and, and Peter's standing there forgiven, and I'm sure encouraged, and then, and then Jesus says these words to him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John, who often adds kind of parentheses in his gospel to kind of tell, explain to us what's going on, he said, this Jesus said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And I'm going like, Jesus, come on. you know, there, You've just had this beautiful moment with Peter on the beach where you've restored him and you loved him, and then you go and tell him that basically he's going to die in the same way that Jesus died. This is what he meant when you stretch out your You're going to stretch out your hands. That you're going to die, Peter, in the same way that I'm going to die. Why does Jesus leave Peter with this sort of depressing prophecy at all? And I think that what he's doing is maybe he's teaching Peter as he leaves now, the only thing that he has to cling to is, is Jesus' love. That's the only thing that he really has. And then what he's saying is that now discipleship and what you're going to go do, it's not always going to be easy. In fact, a lot of times it's going to be brutal. It's never going to look like a beautiful rose garden. It's not going to be this kind of triumphant blitzkrieg all the time. It's going to be a kind of martyrdom. It's going to be a kind of martyrdom to walk in my footsteps. It's going to entail suffering And persecution and the world is not going to understand you and they're probably going to hate you because they didn't understand me and they also hated me. It's going to be giving up your life now, Peter. The crucified and risen Lord Jesus is saying to Peter, in effect, I came out of the other side of the awful cross and Peter, you're going to as well. But there's going to be a cross there for you as well. Jesus is always gentle right? But at the same time, he's ruthlessly honest. And what he says to Peter is actually becomes true of Peter's life. And as I was thinking about that imagery of what it looks like, who is, if somebody who understands the forgiveness and love of Jesus to the point where they follow them to where they give their life away, I was thinking about the words of Martin Luther King Jr. as he sat in a jail cell. And he wrote a letter And he says these really incredible words that are hard for me to comprehend. He says, to our most bitter opponents, we shall say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. Throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and we shall still love you. Send your your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead, and we shall still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process And our victory will be a double victory. That's what Jesus is calling Peter to. After saying all of these things, Jesus simply ends his conversation with the same words that he began his relationship with Peter. He just says, Peter, follow me. Come and follow me. They're the same words that I'm going to leave you with this morning that if you know the love of Jesus, if you've encountered the forgiveness of Jesus, if He has said to you, I've seen everything about you, and what I offer you is the opposite of what you deserve, what I offer you this morning is my grace and my forgiveness, that you have nothing left to fear, that you don't have to live with guilt and shame any longer. Now come and follow me. And I want to ask you this question and leave you with this question. Who else would you want to follow? That is the only place where true peace and safety can actually be found. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to know this forgiveness. Help us to know that it is true and real and that it is offered to us this morning. I pray for those of us who do know Jesus, that that we would draw our confidence from this and from this alone, that you would help us to understand what it means for us to follow you is maybe not, just like Peter, maybe not to have the life that we always dreamed of. That maybe you have something different from for us, but I pray that you would help us to wake up every morning with amazement in our eyes, that we get to live in your world another day, that we get to live as your children, as your beloved, as the one who you will never let go. Father, for those of us here this morning who... Um, do not know you, and maybe are encountering you for the first time, I pray that they would know this morning that you are after them, and you are pursuing them, and you want to expose them, not to humiliate them and hurt them, but that you might bless them and forgive them. Father, draw them to yourself, even now this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all stand in worship with us.